Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's financial news. It can be a little bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course and help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week, and therefore, what a show. Man, if you're following the financial markets this week, I hope you're not. But if you are, you've seen a lot. And we're going to look at three pieces of information, three articles. First one, Wall Street Journal. Money moves to make if you're expecting the Fed to lower interest rates. Ooh, you know, the headline itself violates our code of conduct, but we're going to let it slide and learn from it. Article two is just a just oh harrowing tale. This is, this is distributed by Bloomberg News. I got it from advisorhub.com. All these articles are in the show notes, but Headline, J.P. Morgan is in a fight over its client's lost $50 million fortune. You read that right. Somebody walked into the bank $50 million and they walked out of it with nothing. Now, there's some nuance here. It's not all bad, bad J.P. Morgan. It takes two to tango. And then we end it with some wonderful information that a friend of the show sent to me that really puts things in perspective, particularly as we look at the incredible stock market move of the last couple of days. Incredible. To the upside, for those of you who are doing a good job acting like an ostrich and keeping your head in the sand. Good on you. For the rest of us, we watch this thing. And what a move higher it was. So we'll it's kind, of, it's kind of fun, some fun, some fun stats. But let's let's start here. <clears throat> now, many of the rules we have at the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update is to never say "I told you so." Never do it. We never want to have that level of arrogance because we know full well that the day may come when we say something we shouldn't and we make a big mistake. We've probably already done it multiple times. But in this particular instance, the Keeping costs low, investing simple, and time rising long has really paid off. So this article, Wall Street Journal, money moves to make if you're expecting the Fed to lower interest rates. Investors consider taking on more risk ahead of possible interest rate cuts. Well, this article was updated December 13th. That's Wednesday of this week. Wouldn't you know it? The Federal Reserve just this week, just yesterday, meaning Wednesday, as we record here on Thursday. Fed Chairman Powell said, we're going to keep rates where they are, and we might have three cuts here in 2024. Not sure. Can't, can't, you know, nothing's promised. I've got to watch that data. But what did we warn about here on the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update? Be wary of strategies that say, hold out, stay in cash. You just wait for that Fed. And once the Fed, once you realize the Fed's done raising rates, going to lower, then you invest. Well, all right. Well, guess what happened? This is I'm going to use our global global stock market index. It's up 3.3% this week. For the month, it's up about 5%. So the market is anticipatory in nature. It kind of knows where this is this thing's headed and it it's priced accordingly. So if you were trying to say I'm just going to stay in cash, a lot of people are. The article explains in many cases, the article reads, investors figured grabbing an easy and guaranteed 5% annual return on the money was a no-brainer. Hmm. 
They then give you this. This is where you really got to take care of those stocks. The article says stocks and bonds both tend to perform better in a pause before rate cuts than after, according to analysis from BlackRock. Just forget that stuff. I think that's a road to Hades paved with good intentions. Do not start digesting that stuff. Where, well, historically, rates, you know, when they paused and they, nah, don't worry about it. But the Fed may be done hiking rates, it says. We're more confident now that we're in a pause. And stocks and bonds both rallied in November. Uh-huh. And then had a big rally this week. So what's happening? All those pundits that told you, stay in cash, stay in cash. Can't quite trust this market. You ever heard that? We just can't quite trust this market. I've never known a more meaningless phrase. Well, what in the world does that even mean? Trust the market. I'm not sure the implication. Usually what it means is, yeah, uh, you don't know what we're talking about. So, I'd say for the last, the entirety of this year, the news has lambasted us with recommendations to just sit on the sidelines here. Sit on the sidelines of the stock market. You don't need to jump in early here, because who knows? Who just knows what could happen next? Well, aren't you glad you didn't follow that advice, particularly the last couple of days? So, Stay long-term. Articles like this are a continual reminder that if you're not careful, you will be catechized by these falsities that just are always being spewed at you. These falsehoods telling you, get in when you can, get out when you can, time that market. It's market timing by any other name, but still market timing. So stay invested for the long haul. Don't worry about what the Fed's going to do. The market's already pricing that in for you. That's the beauty of the efficient market hypothesis. It's not the perfect market hypothesis. It's just the efficient market hypothesis. It says all available information is priced into these stocks. It's not done perfectly, but it's done really well. It's done really, really, really well. If you ever want to nerd out, send me, send me a message. If you think there's a dislocation or inefficiency in the market, and I will show you a way that will calm you down a little bit. It certainly helped for me. You can look at all the top holders of these individual securities. And on, you know, there are probably 15 different hedge funds in each one of these larger stocks. 15 or more. Not to mention all the active mutual funds. All these people have armies of analysts perusing the securities, seeing what has value, what doesn't. And there are people who are short, meaning they are betting the stock market will go down. Same deal. 15, 20 of these big name hedge funds, armies of analysts from the premier academic institutions of our era, Texas A&M, and many others. These folks are keeping that market efficient for you. They're doing meaningful work. They're doing very meaningful work. Next article, and this, this is a long article, but I'm going to spark notes it for you, paraphrase it for you, make it bite-sized for you, the listener. J.P. Morgan is in a fight over its client's lost $50 million fortune. Okay, at the top, a gentleman named Peter Dolger, he signed paperwork to have J.P. Morgan handle his fortune that he built by basically creating an energy efficiency company. He went around and franchised it and sold it to, I think, Honeywell. And I think it was the mid-90s. And he said he was worth $50 bucks at age 78. $50 million bucks, his net worth at age 78. Okay. But they said maybe he was starting to show signs of dementia. Never told that to J.P. Morgan. Right? 
In fact, I, I read this article thinking, oh dear, here come the bloodsuckers at J.P. Morgan. I can't wait to rail on them. After reading the article, it didn't quite feel that way totally. Of course it takes two to tango. I kind of read it thinking, all right, this, this did take two folks to make this mess. So I want to camp on things that happen. So just in summary, this gentleman made a bunch of money building a business, sold the business, invested aggressively, went to J.P. Morgan to continue his aggressive investing, primarily with these vehicles called Master Limited Partnerships, typically in energy assets. Ah, and J.P. Morgan warned him along the way. They, they are good record keepers. They've been in a lawsuit before. So, in fact, they're counterclaiming this lawsuit and suing this gentleman, um, I guess, and his, and his spouse as well for legal fees, which means they're pretty confident. They warned this gentleman, hey, don't, uh, this is a little aggressive. This is a little aggressive. The, uh, what this guy did, Mr. Dolger, he went risk on. So he sells this business to Honeywell in 1995, gets that big eight-figure payout. He then goes aggressive. You want to listen to what he did? He bought pre-IPO shares in biotech companies, an MIT professor's high-frequency trading fund, Korean real estate, and municipal bonds. He also began dabbling in securities known as Master Limited Partnerships, or MLPs. The investments, which trade on exchanges, focus on natural research such as oil and gas. Now, sometimes... You blame the preacher, and sometimes you blame the parishioner. In this case, I'd say this parishioner, Mr. Dolger, he found the sermon he wanted to hear. Based on reading about the story, I can almost tell, had he stumbled across the very own Robert Hunt Financial and Robert Hunt Financial Market Update, he would have been bored out of his mind. Like, bored to tears. So, instead... He went risk on, and you know what the scary part is? It worked for a little bit. So this gentleman, again, sells his business, starts investing in these complexities. All the, you, you heard me read these, I call it craziness, but from 2009 to 2014, his bets on MLPs outperformed the S&P 500. Oh! Generating tens of millions of dollars in gains and cementing a strategy that he sought to continue. When I read that, I underlined it, and I thought, oh, the most dangerous thing that can happen to someone is to have a foolish strategy work for a period of time convinces the participant that they are actually the secret sauce. They've got some edge. When what really is happening, generally, is they're just taking more risk. They're taking on a lot more risk. That's why you, you'll oftentimes hear the phrase risk-adjusted return. So they're trying to say, are you a good manager? Are you actually... Eh, I could just bet. I could go to Las Vegas Casino, put $100,000 on black and win and walk out and say I doubled my money. But what was the risk adjusted? Well, that was a terrible, terrible <laughs> risk adjusted bet. I happened to win it. So in this instance, in 2009-2014, he won it. But here's where J.P. Morgan is culpable. So they, and this happens all the time. This is if you if if you latch on to anything in this in this podcast, who is your advisor? Who is giving you advice? What conflicts of interest do they have? This gentleman thought J.P. Morgan was his financial advisor. J.P. Morgan was not. Now, this is where I, I blame J.P. Morgan. They, admittedly, by the letter of the law, they have their 
legal team probably saying something like this. Oh, no, we weren't this gentleman's advisor. We, on, the, on the email taglines, on the paperwork he signed, it showed that we were not his advisor. We were just uh, facilitating these trades and helping him execute his own personal investments. But, of course, we know what happens in practice. They ask questions of these guys. The article says, Yoon said she and her husband believed he, this investment advisor, J.P. Morgan, was their actual advisor. Yet court records show Baker, this advisor, didn't register with regulators until one until later, after the suit. Mm. I, I can't tell you how many times I see this where people walk in and say, well, I've got this financial advisor, such and such bank or whatever. They're, they are your salesperson. Now, they, they will use ambiguous language that, if I were to think critically, is nefarious and that it makes you think they are advising you. They are not advising you. Mm -mm. So what happened? Turns out J.P. Morgan started loaning a bunch of money. Risk goes up. But guess what? J.P. Morgan makes money on that. You never want to go to the Toyota dealership asking what kind of car to buy. You never want to go to the Ford dealership. What kind of car? They're always going to say Ford or Toyota. You never want to go to J.P. Morgan and say, should I borrow money here? What do you think the answer is going to be? Yeah, uh, yeah. as much as we can let you, as much as our credit department will let you, we're going to loan to you. And they, they broke down exactly what they were paying in interest and kind of management fees, and it was something like 650 grand. So here we go. In some years, this couple, they paid more than 400 grand in interest on JP Morgan loans and more than 250 grand in advisory fees to JP Morgan and this outside private manager. Are we having fun yet? Are we having fun yet? 650 grand for what? For garbage. And now no one was obligated legally to step in necessarily. J.P. Morgan papered it up correctly. And I don't blame J.P. Morgan entirely. I, I wish they would have disclosed with more clarity their role for him. But it appears when I read this article that this gentleman was driving the ship. He, I think, was going to find a pastor that preached the sermon he wanted to preach. He was going to find someone that told him what tickled the ears. And he eventually found it in J.P. Morgan. Oh, by the way. Six for 650 grand a year, I might start tap dancing for you. Be careful, listener. Even, even your podcast host might <coughs> bend the knee to the bales and the asteroids for 650 grand a year, please. Whew. Sometimes the speaking of the truth is expensive, isn't it? But we haven't bent the knee yet. We'll let you know when we do. But this, this, this poor man and his spouse, they basically got wiped out. So they went from 50 million bucks. Close to zero. How did it happen? They just kept layering on leverage, kept layering on risk. All of a sudden, there's this, oh, well, I just, I didn't really understand what J.P. Morgan was doing. I just trusted him. And then here comes the dementia. Okay. The article concludes by saying, well, I just kind of trusted him. Eh. Okay, this couple of the Dolgers just kind of trusted J.P. Morgan. Not the way to do it. It's, in fact, partly why I've built my practice the way I have I don't believe in abdicating. There are some unique, unique circumstances where uh, for some old age or, or mental handicap where abdication is required, I wouldn't do it. I would really take the long road. I would, you know, let's learn about it for a year. I think dentistry you can abdicate. I think trash pickup you can abdicate. I think plumbing you can partially ab abdicate. I used to think you can abdicate on refrigeration, you can't. you got to know your stuff with refrigerators. Learn that lesson almost the hard way. So the fact that you're listening is good. It means you're willing to learn. You can't just show up hat in hand to a bank or an insurance company and expect that they will do the right thing. 
I don't see it a lot. And in closing, we've got some fun facts and figures for you. This is interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. Got to get that hot water down in this hot water season here in Dallas. Did you know the market cap of the entire U.S. stock market in 1990 was only $2.8 trillion? That means the worth of all the companies, $2.8 trillion. That's what one company today is worth, Apple. How about, how about keeping that time rising long? How about this for just beware of facts and figures? The investment returns of Rolexes, the watches, was higher than real estate, the stock market, or even gold over a 10-year period from 2011 to 2021, according to Paul Altier, founder and CEO of Bob's Watches. That data, let's pretend it's true, I suspect it is, that gets people into trouble. Because I can slice and dice data. There's a great book called How to Lie with Statistics. You can do, make data say anything you want. Isn't that interesting? This, this will sober you up, especially for the, peop <laughs> for the real detractors here. The Nikkei 225, this is the Japanese stock market index, was flat from July of 1990 through November of 2023. Can you imagine the poor podcaster who started in Japan in July of 1990 with my maxims of keeping costs low, investing simple in time, rising long? Oh, konnichiwa. That would be a brutal podcast. Very few would make it to 2023. However, ah, ah, what's that saving grace? If I had a, a co-host, he would pipe in and say, oh, yes, Robert, but don't forget, you advertise for global diversification. Aha! And so I do. So that would have spared the listener who was all in on Japanese stocks in 1990. Could the very same thing happen to our country? I doubt it, but I don't know, which is why I do advocate for a global allocation. Global. This is always fun. Out of 28,114 publicly listed U.S. companies analyzed over the past century, 25 best stocks created a third of all the wealth. Put another way, just 0.1% of stocks have added over $17.6 trillion to investors' wallets. That's another reason why when someone says, hey, I'd like to be a stock picker, I think, oof. You better get the right ones or you're going to be behind. So, these facts and figures always are important to remind us that it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. I think that's like a Yogi Bear deal, but it's, it, it's really hard. I don't know if we'll be flat as Japan was for the next 33 years. I certainly hope not. That would make for a very challenging podcast. But we may. We just may. So in that instance, let's remember to control what we can. Control what we can. We, can't, we cannot control the direction of the wind. We can just control the way we put our sails up, the type of ship we're using. And we have elected to use a ship titled Low Cost, Simple Investing, long-term horizon. That's the boat we're sailing on. Let's stay in it because it's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey.